Could I direct your attention to John chapter 3, verse 17? John chapter 3, verse 17. We'll look at that verse and a few others this evening. Here's what it says. Uh, For God did not send his son into the world. Here's the answer to the question. He did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So that's pretty clear. Jesus did not come into the world to judge the world, and I'd like to suggest two reasons. One, he did not want to. Why not? Well, the verse is pretty clear. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, here's the alternative, but that the world might be saved through him. I'm sure you agree the Lord Jesus did not begin his ministry on earth with judgment. He began it with mercy and grace. He did not come as a ravenous lion or a ferocious bear. Uh, The uh, animal associations pertaining to the Lord in the Bible are as a lamb and then a dove. Remember when the dove uh, came upon him, a symbol of the Holy Spirit, very non-threatening images. He came as an emissary of mercy and grace. Last week, We spent some time reflecting on what is perhaps the most famous verse in all the Bible, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why? Well, he did not do so to condemn us, but that we might escape condemnation and judgment. And so because of what the Lord Jesus has done, you and I now have an option. Uh, We're not stuck with the singular possibility of being judged No, we could escape judgment. We can be saved, have you ever wondered, from what? From the wrath of God. And so I need to acquaint you with this. That sounds clear and all the rest, but there's a verse which perhaps one day we'll get to unless the Lord comes first. It's all the way in the distant future in John chapter 9. I'll just read to you. A few of the opening words, John chapter 9, verse 39, listen, and Jesus said, for judgment, I came into the world. Now, that looks like it's a direct contradiction with what we have just read in verse 17, but it's not a contradiction at all. Here's the point. Uh, The Lord Jesus came first for salvation, but the consequence of rejecting salvation is judgment. Folks, you and I have got to get his first coming right, and then we have no fear about his second. Uh, The first time he came uh, not to judge sinners like you and I, he came to judge sin in his own body on the cross. But the second time, he will come to judge sinners. He came the uh, first time as a lamb, but the second time, he will come uh, as the lion of Judah. If we're right about his first coming, uh, then we'll rejoice and not fear his uh, second coming. So there are two options now for us as uh, human beings. One, it is the forgiveness of Christ, or it it is accountability uh, to Almighty God and the distinct possibility of condemnation. Could I ask you, and this is a question for you to answer privately. Which, which is it for you? Is it salvation or is it condemnation? There's no middle ground. Uh, would you think it to be arrogant of me to tell you I'm certain 
It's uh, the option of salvation for me, not by merit, righteousness, or anything of the sort. It's simply by embracing the totality of what the God of, all, of, of mercy and grace has done for me. If my sin is not judged in Jesus for me, it will ju be judged in me on my own. I, by his grace, came to a point, I hope you have as well, where I exercised option A, and I said, Savior, be my personal Savior, for I have a sin problem which has made me susceptible to judgment and condemnation. I believe you've been condemned for me. The Father's wrath was poured out upon you on the cross in my stead. I accept that. Be my substitute for sin. Which is it for you? It's one option or the other. I hope before you leave tonight, the matter is not questionable. I hope it's settled in your own mind. Now, there's a second reason why I think Jesus did not come into the world to judge it. The first reason is that he didn't want to, and the second reason is that he didn't need to. Why not? Well, the answer is in the very next verse, verse 18. He who believes in him is not judged. Uh, he who does not believe in him, you see, has been judged already. That's a shocking statement. Did you know that? Um, uh, members of the human race who are apart from Christ uh, already are judged. They're already in a state of condemnation. Did, did you know that? He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus, in love. Uh, it, it, it is not, therefore, God who has condemned unbelievers uh, they have actually condemned themselves. The lost stand in a state of condemnation. Can you see how precarious it is? For nobody knows when their life here comes to an end, during which time we are ushered into the presence of God to give an account. I was sharing with someone today, I feel like I have an acquittal, case dismissed. What's my plea? <laughs> Just as I am without one plea but that the Lord's son Jesus suffered and died for me. And I think the father will put down the gavel on his judgment seat and say, case, case dismissed. But if you haven't accepted the one who uh, suffered and died in your stead uh, for your sin, you're in a state of very precarious uh, condemnation and you do not want to pass in that particular uh, state. And what is the reason why those who have not accepted uh, the Lord Jesus have, as it says, been judged already? Well, the answer is given there in that verse, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Uh, did you know that uh, rejecting Jesus, the sin bearer, is the absolutely only sin for which the guilty verdict cannot be removed? I shudder to think some here think they're so bad they are beyond the Lord's grace and forgiveness. Some actually labor under that misconception that though he can forgive many, maybe most, he can't forgive me for all that I have done. But I must tell you, nothing you have done is beyond the Lord's superabundant, gracious forgiveness. But the sin of rejecting his offer 
That's the one sin that cannot remove a guilty verdict. Unbelief, rejection of Jesus and his finished work on the cross for sin, that's the sin that renders one guilty of all other sins. Someone put it this way, unbelief is the sin against the only remedy for our sin. Please don't leave Jesus behind when soon we take leave of one another tonight. Don't do that when you could exercise the option of experiencing his salvation. Now, why would someone reject Jesus' sacrifice for sin and his offer uh, to be our sin bearer? Why would someone reject Jesus? Well, let's see. It's in verse 19. This is the judgment that the light, I think you'll see as you think about it here, the light is a reference to Jesus, who in another place refers to himself as the light of the world. This is a reference to Jesus. This is the judgment, the verse says, that the light has come into the world and men and women loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Well, for their deeds were evil. Uh, folks, the, don't be fooled about this. The ultimate reason why people do not come to Christ is that they do not want to. That, that, that's the reason. And why, why do they not want to? It's because of what it says here. Men loved the darkness rather than the light. When I read this, I saw that we probably are underestimating our sin problem. It goes far deeper than maybe what we think. And here's, uh, here's the depth of our sin problem. We simply love our sin more than we love God's holiness. Fess up. Uh, confess it. We love our sin more than we love God's holiness. The text says people love darkness because of what it conceals, and therefore people resent Jesus because of what he reveals. People refuse to accept Christ, not because they lack information, knowledge, and an explanation to satisfy all of their questions and objections. People reject Jesus because they want to. That's the reason. Now, oftentimes, you do hear objections from people like, uh, isn't the Bible full of errors? Have you run across that one? Uh, people throw that at you a lot. Uh, or this one, uh, what about uh, sincere people of other faiths? Or where is this peace that this Jesus, the Prince of Peace, claimed to usher in? Or this one, this is a rough one. Uh, what about all the evil and suffering in the world? If this God of yours is good. How do you explain all the evil and suffering in the world? I think all of these objections are, are, are worthy of a response. They should not be ignored. However, don't miss the point. Uh, none of those are what really keep anybody from Jesus. We can call them smoke screens, in fact, and diversions from the real issue, and the real issue is this, people love their sin. That's true of you, that's true of me. The light, the text says, has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light, 
for their deeds were evil. So that tells me the problem of an unsaved person is not intellectual, it's moral. And that's why even in spite of all the information you or I might submit to that person, it's a moral deficit in an unsaved person's life. It's not an intellectual deficit. We reject Jesus as the remedy for our sins because Jesus, the light, exposes our sinfulness and we do not like that. We reject Jesus because we like our sins and we simply don't want them exposed. We prefer our sins, which lead to our death. Think of how crazy this is. We prefer our sins, which lead to our death, rather than Jesus, who came to lead us into eternal life. So I want to ask you this. What's the real difference between you, a believer, and someone who is not a believer? It simply cannot be that you have not sinned and uh, the unbeliever has. That's not true, for the Bible tells us all have sinned. We have that in in common. So what's the difference between a saved person and an unsaved uh, person? The difference is the saved person somehow has come to run towards the light, and the unsaved person is intent on running from the light. Every one of us is guilty of having committed sin, but our attitude towards Jesus, the sin-bearer, is what separates humankind into these two classes, the saved and the unsaved. So if you're a Christian, I ask you this one, what has caused you to run to Jesus, the light, while others who you care for and love have not? I wish I knew the answer to that. I'm plagued by it. Uh, It requires a heart change. Why is it that God has touched and softened your heart, but maybe not the heart of another family member whose lostness you grieve over. What is it that caused you to come to the light? Well, I know in human terms, it could be pain. Pain is a great motivator to help people take stock. It could be suffering and affliction. Even David lauds the virtue, King David, of affliction. Before I was afflicted, said he, I went astray. In another place, he said, it's good for me that I was afflicted. It's a motivator. In times of prosperity, we're prone to put God on the shelf, but in adversity, maybe we're a little more prone to cling to him, to look to him. So I I know from a human point of view, sometimes pain can motivate one who previously has run from the light to run towards it. Sometimes what changes a person's heart is to be jealous of the lifestyle of one who has been embraced by the light. I remember when I was in the military a million years ago, I saw a guy who became my friend. So I had a chance to watch his life and I was not just interested in it, I was jealous of it. I had no idea it had anything to do with spiritual stuff and religious stuff. And I, I just... My goodness, he discovered. In fact, I think I shared with you. One time I told him, his name was Mark. I said, Mark, what, what makes you tick? He said, what do you mean? I said, you're different. You have peace. You have contentment. Then I said to him, have you discovered some drug I don't know about? That's what I told him. 
So sometimes that's what helps someone previously antagonistic to the light want to run to it. Your interest is aroused by being around light bearers. Sometimes that's it. I, but I don't know the answer, really. I, I can't explain why God softens the heart of some and others' hearts seem, seem, seem to be hardened. I, I don't get it. I, I, I don't understand it. But I, I will not let my uh, lack of understanding of this issue keep me from being grateful to God for my salvation. Don't, don't let this theological issue it boils down to divine sovereignty versus free will, and it's dividing our churches. Do you see what I mean? I don't know the answer. I don't know how to harmonize the two, but I will not let my inability to harmonize what looks like two incompatible truths, I'm not going to let my deficit and limitation rob me of the joy of my salvation and of the responsibility to thank the Savior for saving me. I'm not selfish about it. I pray that he would do the same for others I care for, and I hope you do the same. I do know it is only God who saves. He's the author of our salvation, and I know it is not we ourselves. And uh, if for the ones who are not drawn to the light, look, look at what's true about them. Verse 20, for everyone who does evil hates the lot. Isn't that a strong word? I didn't write it. I'm just reading it. John is the writer. Everyone who does evil hates, they're not neutral towards the light, hates the light and does not come to the light. Why? For fear that his deeds will be exposed. I used to live in Chicago and uh, we lived in an apartment uh, complex and uh, uh, you know, there are roaches here in Texas, but they're much different than Chicago roaches. I mean, no offense, but Texas roaches are really dumb and real easy to get. You know, they're big, they're slow. They just walk around waiting to be stomped to death. You know, this is not even a challenge to go roach hunting in Texas. But in Chicago, oh my goodness, they'll toy with you. So you get up and you go into the kitchen and you turn on the light and they're just laughing at you. And they're saying, I hear them, catch me if you can. As soon as you turn on the light, man, they just scatter to the next apartment till you turn off the light. They'll come back after a little bit. And it occurred to me, uh, sinners are like that. They're like those roaches in Chicago. Uh, they, they do, sinners don't like the light. They wish to run away from it. It disturbs them. It it's a distraction and an inconvenience. They don't like it. Uh, sinners prefer, you see, that their sin be concealed and not revealed. But there are some exceptions. Have you noticed this? There are some sinners in our day who not only are not ashamed about their sin, they seem to flaunt it. Uh, they parade it, sometimes literally. Aberrant lifestyles. And, uh, uh, and attached to it, the term pride. Not, not only are they not hiding their sin, they're uh, stating, I'm proud about this lifestyle I I'm, I'm living. So how do, you, how do you explain that? Even they who flaunt their sin, it seems to me, do not come to the light who is Jesus because they know on the inside their behavior is evil and Jesus, the light, would condemn it. 
So that there are some who seem not to fear that their evil deeds will be seen. I think they do fear that their evil deeds will be seen to be evil. There's something in a person that persuades them of that. Now I want to tell you about something that happens when a person chooses darkness rather than light. He does not leave the light alone. The person who chooses darkness rather than light does not peacefully walk away from the light. That person is so bothered by the presence of the light that that person is intent on extinguishing the light. And what's more, that person who favors the darkness over the light is intent on persecuting the light bearers. Those are called Christians. And herein lies the explanation of growing worldwide Christian persecution, even to some extent in our country, to a greater extent than ever before. Those who prefer darkness over light not only want to extinguish the light, but also the light bearers, Christians. In fact, according to the United States Department of State, Christians in over 60 countries in the world are systematically being persecuted by their own governments. Not haphazardly being persecuted, but systematically being persecuted by their own governments. And of course, this doesn't even take into account persecution against Christians in a non-systematic way, by friends even, or co-workers, or this is terrible, but it happens even by one's own family members. We should not be perplexed anymore about persecution, even in our own country. As a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I hope you and I now have a better idea of why it happens. The darkness so loves its evil deeds, that it wants to extinguish the light, wants nothing to do with Jesus as he is, and it surely wants nothing to do with those who represent him. And so John declares everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light. And he is saying that those who refuse Jesus, don't you see, are not neutral to him. They hate him. Now, some unbelievers would be greatly offended by that statement, and they would say, I don't hate Jesus. I just don't believe in him. They might say, I believe he was a good man, or I believe he was a good moral teacher, or I think he meant well, but to accuse them of hating Jesus would be very offensive to them. But those are not my words. Those are John's to think of Jesus in any way less than the way in which he claimed for himself, I am the way and the truth and the life, is to hate Jesus, is to deny him. Can you see how justifiable is the wrath of the Son's Father towards those who reject Jesus? And that's why you and I must be compelled to get them off of God's hook into forgiveness, into salvation rather than judgment. John says, even to the person who claims I'm sim simply neutral about Jesus, uh, John says, no, 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 this is the very thing they're guilty of. They hate Jesus and do not want their sin exposed by him. People who reject Jesus want to continue to go on pretending 
They do not need a savior. They're not sinful enough to justify it. Well, that's a very bad thing, but we'll close on a good note. There's an alternative to the rejection of Jesus, and here it is in verse 21. But he, I love that first word. It means there's an alternative to rejection. There is acceptance. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Some, and they are called Christians, have not run from the light by God's grace. They have been enabled to come to the light. And so the light, Jesus, had come to them, and now they, Christians, come to him. And the evidence of their coming to the light, according to this verse, is that they now practice the truth. It's not head stuff. It's truth that so transforms that the evidence that these Christians have come to the light is that they're now putting into practice salvation truth. It is not that practicing the truth is what saves them, but it's evidence that they have truly been saved and they live differently now. Do you live differently now? They think differently. I've been amazed at how um, during recent events, elections and debates and platforms and all the rest, how persuaded I have become of certain issues like the sanctity of human life. Uh, the reason why that's an overwhelming transformation to me is that I think left to my own devices, I might not have had that conviction. Well, I didn't have that conviction. And I'm so, I, 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 I'm so thrilled to embrace what God said uh, holy matrimony is. I think there might have been a day when I would have said, what's the problem? Two people in love with one another who are not imposing themselves on you, why would you stand in their way and deny them the full rights and privilege of marriage? So that sounds so, it just sounds so reasonable to me. And I was just so happy that my mind is different on these things. It's not that I'm better than anyone who thinks differently. I'm telling you, this is an evidence to me of a work of God on the inside in my thinking uh, 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 those who have come to the light practice the truth, not only in our thought life, but in our speech. Are you a Christian? Do you find yourself saying things differently? I remember before uh, I was a Christian, I had no trouble using the Lord's name in vain. And even after that, soon thereafter, I think I told you one time uh, when I was in the military, we would play basketball pretty regularly in an old bomber factory and as a New Yorker, that's all we do in New York. We just play basketball. Well, we play basketball and steal hubcaps. That, those are the two, like, major things. And I remember playing, I've told you this story, but it just hits me. This was like 40 years ago. I remember playing basketball, and uh, for us, you don't play basketball because it's enjoyable. You play basketball to win the game. That's the deal. And so... Uh, I remember, even as a new Christian, in the course of a game, something happened that didn't go my way. And I remember saying, oh, and I used the Lord's name in vain. It was like a knife going inside of me. It was so powerful. It was almost like some preacher was telling you, was there, hey, don't do that. It was, it was almost like that. And I think I did it a second time in the course of the game. And that's the last time, to my knowledge, I used the Lord's name in vain. That's like 40 years ago. 
Why? Did I discipline myself, turn over a new leaf, read a self-help book on how not to use the Lord's name? I didn't do any of the above. I have seen the work of God wrought uh, uh, in my speech. Have you noticed have you noticed that? You just don't use certain words you used to use, you used to use before. Did you hear Madonna's speech at the, for crying out loud? It was unbelievable. I found it to be because of her choice of vocabulary, let alone her thinking, but, but because of the choice of vocabulary, it was very coarse to me. But there was a time it would not have been coarse at all that they would have defended her. And I would have said, this is just a, a way to verbally exclaim with emotion, what you, th- I mean, it's just, a, but that, that's all changed. It's like a work of God. Do you see any of this in your life? Your, your thoughts are different, your speech. How about your deeds, your behaviors, your behaviors? You, you know what happens when someone uh, is drawing near to the light? They end up coming to church to be around other light bearers. Isn't that weird? They come like not just on Sunday, like even on a Wednesday night. What is wrong with that? When you could be home eating pizza and watching TV. I don't, isn't that peculiar? It's just a different behavior. You know what happens when people come to the light? Uh, The light being Jesus who uh, set the pace in giving. You find the joy of giving. It doesn't hurt to be reminded of that in sermons But that isn't really the motivation. It's better. There's like an internal motivation. Prior to that, uh, your priority with regard to material things was accumulate and withhold. But now it's sort of spread the wealth. And you might even say investing in what matters for eternity. That is so weird. You want to hear a behavioral change that is extraordinarily different than I've ever known. Forgiving one another. What in the world? No, 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 no. Revenge is the thing. That, that's, I mean, that makes sense to me. Doesn't it make sense to you? Someone does you wrong, you do them wrong. I mean, it's perfectly logical. But then you find out as a forgiven one, you have an inclination to be a forgiving one. That is so weird. I mean, you can't take any credit for that. You cannot, you wouldn't have the audacity to say to someone, do it my way, I found a better. You have to say, this inclination to forgive those who have offended me, that is a work of God wrought in my heart. You see, so that's what the verse says. He who practices the truth comes to the light. Why? So that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So believers who come to the light and in whose life the work of God is manifested, they can't wait until someone says, explain your life to me. I remember when I was a new believer, the fellow who led me to the Lord, on a certain occasion, he said, Stuart, ask God to give you a life that demands a question. Wow. A life cannot be explained by New Year's resolution or personal discipline or restraint. A life that is inexplicable except that God has changed you. That's what he said. Ask God to give you a life that demands a question. He had that life. That's why I said to him, Mark, what makes you tick? 
please explain your... And, and, and verse 21 is saying, those who come to the light, delight not in boasting in their own works, their good works, but in boasting in Almighty God, Jesus, the light of the world, who has produced a good work in their lives. I don't understand, you know, these debates, predestination and election and free will and Calvinism and Arminianism. I enjoy reading about it and even discussing it. I just don't enjoy, enjoy dividing over it. It's kind of foolish to me to divide over it when we got work to do. <laughs> but, 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 but one thing I delight in is knowing out there are other people on the verge of leaving darkness and coming to Almighty God's marvelous light, and he might see fit to use one such as me and 40 measly words like, have I shared this with you? Let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It's when I realized that God was willing to forgive all my sins through the death of his son Jesus on the cross in my place. God says... A message like that has the power to change one's spiritual location. And they can move from condemnation to reconciliation the minute by my spirit, the minute they accept my provision for their sin. I love this passage. We'll, we'll close, I promise you, in just a second. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light, eh? you know it, Brother Stan, so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. My fellow light bearers, the light, the source of it all, the Lord Jesus will never be extinguished. And no darkness can prevail against his church. Oh, victory in Jesus, our light bearer and Savior forever. We, O oh God, who once were residents of darkness, a domain, an atmosphere that had control over us, we have been liberated, set free. Not to do as we please, but to manifest your magnificent work in our lives. O oh God, I pray that the light of Jesus in us would not be extinguished by our compromise, by our sin, by our lackadaisicalness, by our loss of enthusiasm, by our fear of persecution. No, I pray we would burn white hot as reflections of the light so that those who are presently in the domain of darkness would see. Ask us a question for the hope that is within us. Hear the good news message of forgiveness rather than condemnation in Jesus Christ and be eternally saved. Put us to work, Lord Jesus, as your ambassadors. And even tonight, would you do the marvelous and mysterious work of salvation in the lives of those who even here tonight perhaps have not yet accepted you as personal Savior. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.